You're listening to Allied Health Podcast, talking all things Allied Health with your hosts, Danielle Whedon, physiotherapist, and Claire Jones, occupational therapist. In today's episode, Claire and I speak with Angelo Ratnachandra, founder of Beyond Pain, one of Australia's first physio private practices in pain management. Angelo runs workshops training other allied health professionals in his unique approaches to pain management and has received numerous awards in the allied health and oc rehab industry. WorkSafe Victoria Award as Treating Practitioner of the Year in 2011 and Physiotherapist of the Year in 2018 at the Australian Allied Health Awards. Angelo has worked in Australia and overseas and presents internationally and he's also the author of Beyond Pain which has been published in 13 countries across the globe. Claire and I cover Angelo's career pathway in this episode. We discuss with him some life-changing events that happened when he was living and working as a physio in the UK, which led to his lived experience with chronic pain. We talk about his book, his philosophies and the workshops he runs. We hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we did talking with him. Angelo, welcome to Allied Health Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Now, Danielle and I have known you for many years, um, both from different perspectives. I first met you when you made the decision to pack up and go and work as a locum physio in the UK. Since that time, you've had quite a, you've forged quite a unique career within physiotherapy. So um, to kick off, can you tell us a bit about your experience to date and maybe focus on the really interesting work you're doing in the addiction and long COVID space at the moment. Yeah, sure. Well, Claire, that's uh, coming up to one month shy of 20 years ago. No, <laughs> don't tell people that, Angelo. It was five years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, no, yeah I wish it was, but um, yeah, it was March 2003 when, in middle of March 2003 when I landed in the UK. So, um, yeah, 20 years ago. Um, no, yeah, so just prior to that, I graduated in 2000 as a physio and then worked in community health for the first year um, and in, in, our, uh, in our patients as well as inpatient rehab. Um, then worked in private practice and, you know, in private practice as a junior physio, you do a lot of hours, you see a lot of patients and, and something that really struck was that there were some patients who would get better and others wouldn't and you do the same techniques and you sort of sort of strung a chord say what's going on there or patients you got along really well with tends to respond better to your treatment Mm. and so that sort of sparked my interest and curiosity as to the psychology of injury but then with all the hours of work and working hard and I just thought you know, there's got to be more to this. And that's when I packed my bags and decided to go to the UK to do the working holiday thing and was there for four years as opposed to the two years. Um, but in the UK, I was very fortunate to start off working in community health in neurological conditions, um, gave me a broad experience. And then I moved into um, uh, rehab, elderly rehab, um, and then to mental health and the reason why I was really interested in mental health was because of that spark from all the the couple of years prior um and I thought hey not many physios I worked in mental mm. health I want to know how we can influence and at that point it was just a curiosity thing we're talking 2004 2005 to look at what if we make people exercise because you tend to feel better after exercise so we we didn't have you know a research project or anything we just thought it was a would be a great idea just to test the waters so I was fortunately attached to um, um, a, a mental health sort of hospital uh, and we just used to get people every Thursdays and Fridays to do exercise. And when you talk to them afterwards, 
they were in a better headspace. They were more positive about discussing stuff with you. So we knew we were onto something. And from there, I was then had the uh, opportunity to work in an internationally renowned pain clinic. Um, and again, for me, working as a physio, you often deal with a lot of pain conditions. And I thought this was an opportunity to work in an interdisciplinary sort of care where there were psychologists, nurses, physios, doctors, OTs, OTs, um, etc., where I could learn from them as well. Um, I guess I was very fortunate that I've got a bit of a learner mindset, so I'm always wanting to find out, oh, what else don't I know? <laughs> um, so that really set me up and gave me a really nice grounding as to looking at the biopsychosocial aspect of pain. Um, and so from there, I just grew my knowledge and interest in pain management. And then when I came back here, I thought I want to try something different because I know there's lots of workers with injuries. My dad had a work cover injury back in the mm. 90s. And then, you know, I linked in with um, Danny Alta to, to get a job in Oak Rehab, yeah. um, which was my <laughs> first exposure. And that was back in 2007. So um, then I worked in Oak Rehab and, and you know, um, that was really great. And But I was really still passionate about pain management and really promoting what I learned over in the UK um, over here because I just felt in Australia or in Victoria wasn't as knowledgeable in that pain space. So subsequently, I started running workshops and working more and showing greater interest. Um, and then obviously, um, we just grew beyond pain organically to an interdisciplinary team now. We've got OTs, psychs, rehab counsellors, physios, EPs, um, and we got three clinical pharmacists on our team as well. Mm. So, and we do a fair bit of work across um, Australia, predominantly in the life insurance income protection, but also CTP in New South Wales, Queensland and WorkCover and the ComCare sort of areas. And we've got mm. private clients, obviously. But um, yeah, more recently, you know, we've been really working in the last 12 months or so in the long COVID uh, space, um, just because there was a need. We'd always done telehealth. So we, mm. we've been doing telehealth for over 10 years because my philosophy is we shouldn't discriminate people in regional rural areas yeah. just because of their distance. Mm. You know, we shouldn't have to ask them to move to a city to have treatment. And I felt that while face-to-face -face is great and ideal, we could still provide stuff and strategies for people in rural regional areas in the comfort of their own home. Mm. So we started doing telehealth back in 2008, 2009. Um, and, you know, COVID really brought that to the forefront, but we've been really working with the chronic fatigue long COVID space, looking at pathophysiology and how physiotherapy and other allied health practices can come up with suitable strategies to help these people. Um, and also in the addiction space, you know, if you look at any condition, any sort of chronic illness, often there's some sort of underlying um, or concurrent addictive behavior. Doesn't necessarily mean the diagnosed addiction, but, you know, we saw it in COVID, you know, every, every time you talk to someone, they'll be like, I can't wait till Friday afternoon where I can have a glass of wine. <laughs> like, why do you have to have a glass of wine to enjoy a Friday afternoon? Mm. Right. So it's sort of, it can organically and, and from a social perspective develop. So yeah. um, been doing some work in that space, looking at, you know, how can from a physical functioning perspective, could we influence and manage those sort of behaviors? Mm. Um, and also looking at the fatigue and the dysautonomia, uh, that's associated with long COVID. Mm, interesting. Now, just going back to your working holiday in the UK, um, it's fair to say it wasn't 
exactly what you're expecting in a lot of ways. In fact, now now that you've let the cat out of the bag and said it was 20 years ago since we were first in touch, in the 21 years, nearly 22 years, I think now since we've been working with therapists wanting to work in the UK, no one has had the experience that you had over there, Angelo. So can you can you tell us a bit about that story? Yeah, sure. Well, stories, think, really, isn't there? There's I, a few there. I think I spent more time or equivalent time in hospital <laughs> as I did <laughs> as a patient as I did working, I reckon, when you put it, look back. And I look, yes, um, um, in, in I guess the main incident or event that sort of made me someone with a lived experience rather than just a therapist working was um, in on the 23rd of June 2006 when I was um, sitting at home in my share house in East London. Um, ironically, I was working in pain management at the time. I was hit with a petrol bomb and set alight in a case of mistaken identity. So mm. um, it was a Friday night. It was during the um, World Cup in Germany. I remember it was a boring game. It wasn't anything interesting. <laughs> I was just eating ice cream, <laughs> sitting at home and minding my own business um, when someone broke the window and threw a petrol a Molotov cocktail at my head and I put my arms up to uh, shield my face and the, the cocktail bottle basically ricocheted off my hand hit the back wall and it smashed and I got showered in petrol and then they set me alight so mm. they were meant to get the house two doors down um, but in a strange sort of twist of fate I'm, I'm glad they got our house uh, because the house they intended had an eight-year-old girl and her mum and not even the person that they wanted to attack mm. so um, yeah I've had significant burns to both my hands and you can imagine as a physio <laughs> you're mm. thinking wow you know both my hands left side of my face my left ear was um, burnt down to the cartilage um, and so yeah I had to put the fire out and as you know in London there's not enough space to stop drop and roll which we, we were <laughs> taught growing up um, so I had to actually use my hands to put the fire out on my body mm. and then somehow I had the the, the nerve and the peace of mind to run upstairs into the shower and tell the girls who I was living with at the time um, to get out and call the fire brigade. So, and subsequently stayed in hospital, uh, an acute burns unit for about a week and a half. And then outpatients for about six months going three times a week for my morphine injections and wound care, and then subsequent um, skin grafts uh, on mm. my arm. Mm. So, yeah, so there was um, a fairly big journey there. And eight months prior to that, I had a spontaneous pneumothorax, <laughs> which um, I don't really fit the criteria at the time. So, you know, as therapists, we're hopeless at self-diagnosis. So I, I thought it was just a muscle strain in my ribs. <laughs> um, intercostal muscle strain will be about right because the criteria for a spontaneous pneumothorax is tall, thin, redhead teenagers. Yeah, and, not you. And you all know that. <laughs> That's not me. So I went to work for five days, actually. Um, I love that part of it, Angela, that you just thought you'd push through that pain, that you just wish, keep going. It, well, it'll resolve. Well, I had to go to Budapest with some friends. Couldn't miss out on that, Claire. So, um, you know, I was actually convincing myself I was getting better, although I was shortness of breath and... Um, but yeah, anyway, so I, I did see a doctor and she said, oh, it doesn't look good. I think you should get checked out. I said, I'll come back when I get back from holiday. <laughs> so I flew and then flew back within about oh. 72 hours, which is the worst thing you could do, obviously. And so my left lung was collapsed to less than 40%. That gave me 48 hours to live. I was just very lucky that I went and got it checked out. So I was ended up in a um, London chest hospital in the Royal London in total for about five weeks. They had to do... a uh, pleurectomy which is basically going in uh, 
basically scraping the uh, the pleura behind my left lung and then blowing my lung up and sticking my left lung to my left rib cage, which is yeah. how it is today. Um, so yeah, so that's really my experience. So did you with, with the collapsed lung, um, Angelo? Did you experience chronic pain from that? I did have um, symptoms, and it was quite um, unique symptoms, which we hear of with chronic pain conditions. So where my scar line is on my left side of my back, I had an equivalent pain and like yeah. almost like a broken glass, sort of really hypersensitive sensation on, on the right-hand side. So, you know, it didn't make sense that I was grabbing at my right-hand side, yet the scar was on my left. Yeah. So, so I had some chronic pain, um, and I think that just got exacerbated um, with the burns, with the burns. Um, and then Gosh. subsequently came yeah. back to Australia. Um, in- both, uh, both big events that really meant your professional and personal life intersected. hundred oh, percent. And it's in a way, like for me, I, I've got to, yeah, I sort of take it like sometimes you've got to walk the talk. And mm. in a way, this is an opportunity for me to really test out whether what I was taught was best practice is actually going to work because I didn't want to be a liar, <laughs> essentially. So right. it really made me put in place what I was taught. Um, and really, from an OC rehab perspective, you know, I was that interest because my manager said, you know, Ange, you've been off work for a while. Let's get you into mm-hmm. it. And she let, she made me do the, you know, the PD calendar for the, for the team from working from home and it really gave me a sense of worth and it really, you know, I was at a bad place. I was in a, I was getting counseling for the trauma and so on and so forth. But that was one of the key things that changed my outlook in terms of getting my life back. So I was really passionate about that. And that's why I wanted to explore Oc Rehab when Oc I got rehab. back. Yeah. Yeah. Having purpose, having a reason yeah. to get out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've touched on it already, but what did your rehab journey and recovery look like? I know you said you had spent sort of six months um, in and out of um, hospital in terms of rehab, and then you headed back to Australia. But um, do you have and do you think you'll ever achieve pre-accident function? Uh, that's an interesting question because, like, um, I think my philosophy is that the function you have is a function you're meant to have <laughs> um, because, mm. like, a pre-accident function, I could almost argue I'm better than that. Like, you know, maybe I'm, I wouldn't have been an author mm. or, a, um, you know, do, working in this space, maybe I wouldn't be presenting as because people mm. are engaged with the story. So, you know, can I do the hands-on, uh, you know, 30, 20 patients, 30, whatever it is that the private physios do these days, it's crazy. Mm. Uh, probably not. Um, because I do get like my hands are in ice water after a few patients where it, they just feel really tingly. So I've obviously got some sort of hypersensitivity. But that said, my career evolved anyway to pain management. So and looking at chronic illness management, mental health, this area of interest. So um, if you, I would say, yeah, it's that the same or, or better. Um, functionally, if I wanted to go back and doing full-time hands-on private practice I couldn't do it straight away I would need to obviously pace myself up as I did in my in my achievements and um, my life achievements I guess yeah yeah it's um it's a it's the it's the psychological approach as well right you can look at um you can look at a different ability in a certain way and um, you've got to be able to adapt I think um and exactly um you know one of the quotes in the book talks about that so um I think um yeah, I think it's the ability to see the situation and then you decide for yourself how you want to 
it's a bit it's a bit like a movie you know you're the director and the mm. the, the script writer or the screen play writer um you're in charge of how your future is going to look so you know yeah. it's, it's how you got to take it. it's not easy i'm not saying that everyone it's easy to take that because some people go through some horrific things um and so it's never going to be easy but i think it's important to know that you've got control yeah, agree. Um, and and you and I have known each other for even longer than it was yep. twenty years ago because we went through uni together. Um, you were the year below me. Um, yep. in in age, so you're fairly young compared to me. <laughs> and then I've obviously seen your career journey because we worked at the same time in the UK. Yep. Um, I'd already moved into recruitment there when you were there. Yep. We had some yes. fun Amsterdam trips. As part of the recruitment company we worked Glad for. Glad we both still remember that. Yeah, you know, I, I said to Claire the other day, Angela was always the great photographer. You had an amazing Canon um, SLR yes. and you used to take all the photos. Um, but so I've seen you working in the UK and then when you got back, obviously we helped you get a role in the OC rehab sector and we've, yeah. you know, we've, we've known each other um, for a long time now. So when you decided to move into OC rehab and the area of health, um, which, uh, as you said, um, overlapped your interest in psychology and physical um, therapy. Have you got any other tips for physios who might consider a move into this area? Uh, into OC rehab, you mean? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I, I think it's a great move. Uh, I, I hand on heart, and this is my personal opinion, but I think that you become a better therapist having worked in OC rehab because OC rehab allows you to see the full picture. Uh, anyway, it allowed me to do it. And even in our current practice, you know, a lot of our guys, we expose them to some sort of OC rehab experience, although they might be working more clinical but or wellness um, because I think it gives you a holistic approach. Um, so, and it allows, like, I think OC rehab is really powerful in teaching people communication techniques and how to adapt to certain circumstances. You know, you've got to talk to an insurer different to, say, an injured worker or an employer and so on and so forth. And I think those skills that us physios probably aren't really taught at university, you can get that naturally um, in OC rehab. So um, I, I would absolutely encourage anyone to do OC rehab, even if it's not their career path moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that um, certainly at universities at an undergrad level, that OC rehab is really encouraging in terms of placements. I think there's definitely a place for that. Yeah, and you'd already had that pain management interdisciplinary sort of team yep. approach, which probably um, in, in the past I think therapy has always been really siloed in what we do, but I think really in any clinical setting it probably should all always have an interdisciplinary approach because you can't pull out the psychosocial factors from any physical injury all the time anyway. No, not at all. Um, look, one of my favourite quotes is um, Aristotle, who said, treatment of the part should never be attempted without the treatment of the whole. That's the error of our ways, the separation of the body from the soul. And he said that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so, and, and we're sort of coming to learn to, you know, still learning that now. So absolutely, I think, you know, um, and really having that interdisciplinary as opposed to multidisciplinary, you know, multidisciplinary teams which, who have now evolved to interdisciplinary is about having that common goals, client-centered goals, as opposed to discipline-specific goals. Mm -hmm. You might have discipline-specific goals as short-term, but the overarching goals need to be more an interdisciplinary, um, cross-skilled, client-centered sort of approach. Yeah, yeah. And you've already touched on your book, but in 2014, you wrote and published a book called Beyond Pain, um, and you talk about it being a labour of love as well as a 
massive challenge. I think you said yeah. you took three years to write it. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> yes. So you're working full time and balancing personal life and writing the book for three years. Um, yep. Had cancer another... and a child in that too. Two kids oh. in that. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. I should I should have yep. added that in. Um, can you... <laughs> So we could go into that separately, but can you just tell us briefly about the book? Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. No, it was, look, I, I really wanted, at that time, you know, telehealth wasn't a big thing. We didn't have, I mean, we had Skype, right? When I started writing this book, it wasn't great. And we had, it was dial-up internet and we started just getting broadband, wasn't even ADSL. So, you know, and I really wanted to be able to reach other people with, I guess, my knowledge and experience and some strategies that I knew help, helped the general pain population. And that was how it started. Um, but I wanted to be a very honest, authentic book. So, um, and this is a real challenge for me. And I think for most therapists is to share your own personal journey. If you had one, um, because you're showing some level of vulnerability, right? Yeah. So, but I had a brilliant, um, editor in Vicky Petrarchus, who's a best-selling true crime author. Um, so nothing to do with health. So I figured if Vicky could understand what I'm talking about, then the general population is going to understand. And she had some beautiful way of getting the best out of me anyway. So, um, and, and so I must I, say there that parts of your book do read like a true crime novel. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I would write stuff and then Vicky and I would work together um, to make sure the content got the right message out. Because sometimes, you know, as a clinician, you would say what you think as a clinician, but I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense for the average person. What do you mean by that? So we'd explore that. So I had the opportunity to actually sit with her. So it wasn't even me giving my manuscript to her and she just editing it. We were sitting side by side and working through it. So it was a really good opportunity. But anyway, um, I wanted the book to have my personal journey because I think it's nice for the reader to know that Here's a health professional who's written a book about, say, chronic pain or pain management strategies, but they've got a personal journey as well. I think it allows people to connect and and yeah. validate in a way what I'm saying. And then the middle part of the book is really those understandings, you know, like how does pain work in the body? You know, why why do, does the weather sometimes impact my pain? Mm -hmm. What do scans really show us? You know, what what sort of medications, how do medications help us, you know, should I be returning to work, you know, um, and what does that mean? Why is it all that important? How does the body heal itself? So all those questions that, for me, I needed knowledge of for, in order to help me with my recovery, I thought it will be great to put that in. And then the third part was a sort of like an eight-week program for those people who didn't have access to us that they could just follow with their treaters, um, with the guidance of their treaters that could hopefully help improve quality of life. So that's how the book was written. Mm. Yep. Angelo, one of the chapters in your book, um, in the first part of the book that tells your story, is 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 titled "Thinking About Healing," mm -hmm. and I just wanted to read a quote from this part of the book because it was a real light bulb moment for me. Mm -hmm. You say it's not what happens to you that counts, but rather how you deal with it afterwards. Imagine watching your team win the grand final. At the final siren, the winning players jump for joy, laugh and hug each other while doing laps of honour. Compared with them, with the losing side who, sorry, compare them with the losing side whose players are exhausted and defeated. Both sides played in the same game and the players are equally exhausted, yet there are two very different physical responses. 
the final siren brought about two very different consequences for the players from the two teams. And it was the, the thoughts in their minds that brought about their responses, not the game itself. Angela, can you talk us, can you talk us through this analogy? Give us your perspective on it. Yeah, I think um I think it's more about um how how you interpret the situation you're in. You know, because in terms of that analogy, I mean both teams experience the same game, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the circumstance, the the winning of one team and how they're thinking about what that means to them versus the losing on the other team. Mm-hmm. So it really links in how your thoughts and emotions can li- link to your physical presentation. And we know that because when some people are stressed and upset, it can trigger um, physical responses in the body. But then when you, we know, know with research, if you exercise and be, live a healthy lifestyle, that can be mentally well for you as well. So I, th- I think that in terms of that quote and that phrase, you know, it's not, it, it isn't necessarily what happens to you. Of course, it's going to have an impact, but your recovery phase is determined by how you respond to that and your interpretation of what that means. So for me with my burns, it was like, okay, well, this has happened to me. And, uh, and I was very fortunate in a way, I guess, that I had a very Buddhist sort of upbringing where, you know, it's a concept of shit happens. <laughs> um, yeah, life is full of that. And, you know, it's, it's up and down. You know, there's not necessarily a happily ever after. It's about what you make of it, you know. And, and my personal journey is, is a testament to that, I guess, you know, with the burns, the collapse line, but then being successful in, in the book and so on and so forth. So I think it's about the approach, your attitude towards mm-hmm. what's happened. Yes, of course, you're going to have some low moments and things like that, and that's okay. You can't always be positive and no one's asking that. But I think the concept of it, it's about what how you react to it living in the moment and then saying, okay, well, this is what's happened. I can't change this. How do I want to then traject? Mm. You know, what's the trajectory going to be like for me moving forward? Mm. And just in terms of goal setting, you know, it's interesting. The winning team has achieved their goal and they're jumping all over the place and have got all this energy, yet the losing ch- team who have missed that goal can't, you know, can't even stand up off the field. Yeah, that's interesting psychology, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think you know, it's again putting how much emphasis on what that goal means. Again, comes back to a sense of meaning. Um, you know, I remember there was like AFL players like last season and stuff saying, "Oh, if we lose, it's you know, it's not the end of the world. It's just a game." Mm. I think there was a quote like that. From, and that was beautiful. It's not that they don't care, but there's yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. There's perspective, and we live in. A spectrum you know it's not you know th- th- there are always some some people who are better off but there's also people who are worse off so we just need to recognize we're just at that point in and time and also angela you talk about with um with what you your philosophies are at beyond pain um you mentioned as well about um goal setting being imperative but um but that intent to achieve the goal not the goal itself yeah correct so um, it's a concept that we developed at Beyond Pain because I think um, a couple of years ago, the last 12 to 18 months has been a bit of uh, in social media about, oh, smart goals don't work and they're better than this goal. And that's all well and good. Uh, for, for me, I think all goals are good. And for us, smart goals give some level of, um, uh, I guess, some sort of framework for someone to achieve. 
but I think the most important message we give them um, is that there should be goals of intent, not expectation. Yeah, yeah. So the intention to achieve, not the expectation, because that brings the pressure. Yeah. Um, so we don't need unnecessary pressure, but no. work towards something. And, and same with me, I think from me, from a personal life now, I did Everest Base Camp. I was very fortunate to be able to do Everest Base Camp and do Machu Picchu and the Inca Trail. But, you know, my specialist told me I'll never do high altitude stuff after my collapsed lung. And my burns guy said I'll never be able to tolerate, you know, carrying backpacks and stuff like that because of my chronic pain. So then how come we're telling people to set goals and work towards them? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a time thing. You just set realistic mm-hmm. goals and it's uh, intent to achieve them. If you get mm-hmm. there, great. If you don't, you're going to get the maximum outcome. Yeah. yeah, that's the attitude. And a modified goal is 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 it's your goal, isn't it? Yeah, correct. It's, you know, you get to structure the goal how you want to. Correct. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Angela, when we went through physio years ago, um, I don't really recall there being a heap of physios working in mental health at the time. Have you seen? Um, you, I'm sure you will have, but have you seen the research and link between mental health and physical health change over the years? Oh, hundred percent. I think there's. Unfortunately, I don't. I still don't see a lot of physios working in the mental health space. Um, there's more and more exercise physiologists working in there with the exercise component, fabular research doing. I think there's room for all us physical type therapists to do more. Um, you know, it's it's connected. It's connected. You can't separate. You know, any physical injury will have some psychological aspects, and any psychological injury or illness will have some physical aspects it's it's the mind body connection like mm. so trying to separate it is fu- is futile i think um and that's why you need a holistic approach even for mental health sort of conditions you need some sort of physical activity structured routine good sleep all those things not just the psychological or the counseling input mm. Now, on to Beyond Pain, Angelo. Can you tell us a bit about Beyond Pain and your courses and work, workshops educating other allied health pr- practitioners about chronic pain and more specifically about the workshop Empowering Conversations and the Pain Assist Program? Yeah, sure. Uh, look, as I said, um, we're an interdisciplinary team. We've got uh, guys up in Queensland and, and New South Wales and, and Victoria. Um, a lot of our work is done by video conferencing and we support local providers. So we might bring the expertise, but then we support to upskill local providers because ultimately we want our clients to be supported by their regular treaters. Um, we also, ha- um, having the pharmacists on board has been a, a groundbreaking sort of approach because we're supporting the local GPs with appropriate sort of medication strategies, especially in rural and regional where they may not have access to that training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we do a report and say, well, these are possible options for you to consider, the GPs love it. Um, and so we've always had some positive feedback regards to that. Um, in terms of the workshops and things, I'm very passionate about training other people as well as learning myself. Um, I think, an expert is nothing more than a more experienced student. So, um, so um, yeah, I think it's really, and I sort of try and put some practical aspects. It's not just even, I run a lot of um, Zoom sort of interactive webinars now because we can still provide appropriate training. We split into breakup groups and things like that. Um, 
so yeah, really giving some practical strategies. Um, and given my experience working in OC rehab and in clinical setting and, you know, doing other things at um, employer-based work, it just allows me to give a practical approach to the to the workshop. So we've got the understanding pain workshop coming up um, in a couple of weeks. Um, and we also run an empowering conversation looking at communication styles and techniques and how that relates, but also looking at what we talked about before, you know, someone's upbringing and how someone's upbringing can influence your communication style and your biases. Mm-hmm. So we really give an insight into that. Um, we also got another workshop called Tackling Mental Illness that we're running this year. Um, and hopefully the long COVID, uh, COVID workshop um, will be coming up too. Okay. So they're sort of the workshops. A um, lot of them are SO accredited as well. Um, it was just, uh, they've been really great, supportive of what we do. Um, and then the Pain Assist Program is a video conferencing program. It's, it's a brief intervention program uh, to complement existing sort of pain programs or if someone hasn't got access to provide that access. Um, you know, that, that program is an interdisciplinary one-on-one program that can be delivered in the comfort of someone's own home. We do it via Zoom, FaceTime, WhatsApp, whatever the medium is comfortable for the client mm-hmm. because we don't want any resistance in accessing the service. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people love that program, um, you know, because we are providing a one-on-one sort of care and we're tailoring the goals and the strategies to that person. Um, they're not necessarily in a group setting. Um not that I'm against group setting. I, I worked in one and it works really well. Uh, but sometimes they leave saying, okay, so how does that apply to me now? <laughs> how do I incorporate that into my own life, in my own home? So we allow that to occur. Um, but yeah, and similar to the pain assist program, we've got other programs like the fatigue assist and the COVID assist and the mind assist, just as a similar sort of framework. Yeah. yeah. And most of our listeners are allied health professionals. If they want to undertake any of your courses or purchase your book or even need some support um, with specific clients that they've got, how can they get in touch? Yeah, um, just go to our website, beyondpain.com.au. Um, the book and the courses are on the shop page. Um, and so we'll you can just order it there. I think that's the cheapest way to get the book anyway. And, and it's all inclusive of postage. Um, and if you need to contact us, there's a contact us page and we normally get to you within 24, 48 hours to see what how we can help. Great. Angelo, thanks so much for joining us um, and sharing your story and the really valuable work you're doing um, in the mental health and chronic pain space. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Allied Health Podcast. In the show's notes, you'll find links to our free recruitment resources, job opportunities and healthcare marketplace insights. To listen to new episodes, please subscribe via Apple, Google or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star rating and review and be sure to tell your therapy colleagues and friends to tune in. Tune in.